Let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 15. Brother Dan has already read our text this morning. But today we'll be focusing primarily on verse 4 where Jesus said, Abide in Me and and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in Me. When Jesus said these words, He was with His disciples for His final time on this earth. They were in the upper room and it was during that last Passover or shortly after this Passover that Jesus spoke these very words. Let's get the picture of what's going on there as they were taking were taking together of this Passover meal. There was a portion of the lamb on the table, which Jesus was soon to fulfill. As John cried out, John the Baptist cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They had just partaken of the Lamb. Jesus had said, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in me. Unless you receive me spiritually, you have no life. There was the Lamb. And there was the bread. And there was the wine. Portrayed before them one last time in a vivid portrayal of picture of what was getting ready to happen. That Christ was going to pour out His life and His blood for them. And as they had just partaken of that meal, the emblem, the the picture of the wine was there. We think of that which produced that wine, that branch which was connected to that all-precious vine which found its roots deep in the soil in order that the grapes might be able to come forth to provide for them there on that Last Supper, the wine that was there before them. Pictures. Symbols. And then Jesus said these words, I am the true vine. What you're seeing here is just a picture of the reality that you can only find in me. As we think about what we refer to as 
as a whole, as the grapevine we think of, the vine that comes out of the ground and the branches that are attached to the vine and those glorious clusters of grapes that come forth when everything is as it should be. Christ is saying here that we who are His children are like that vine and the branches. That we are in a relationship with God that is absolutely viable, living, and organic like the relationship of that fruit and those branches are to the life-giving vine. I hope you see the absolute gravity in what Jesus is saying here. No other religion can even begin to claim what the Christian faith claims. The followers in Islam and the followers of Mohammed cannot say that they are in some type of spiritual union with Allah and with Mohammed like we say. There is no comparison. The followers of Buddha, no. They are simply following a set of rules and regulations as to what they think they need to be doing. This is, this is great. This is grand. It is glorious, folks, that we are not here just because we are following a set of rules, but that we are connected to the true vine, the living God. Oh, that we would not take that for granted. That we rejoice in this mystical, glorious union that we have with the living God. That is what Jesus is saying here to us that we have entered into a sameness with God, into a unity with God. Another metaphor is the fact that we are joined to Christ in one living, viable body. That Christ is the head of this body. And we are the members of this body all joined together. Lewis read this morning some other Scriptures from the the book of Ephesians where it talks about we are joined together with Him, with Christ, who is the chief cornerstone in a spiritual house where we are all joined together in a living temple, if you will. You see, we are no longer dead in our sins if we know Christ, but we've made a lot, been made alive by the Spirit of God. And because of the work of the Spirit of God, because of our life in Christ, we've been joined together with Him, just as the vine and the branches and the fruit are all one living, glorious organism. This is what we have and this is what Jesus prayed for us. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. In verse 20, after Jesus had been speaking with and praying for His disciples, He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me. That's us right here today. That they will believe in Me through their Word, the words of the apostles. That they all may be one. That's 
the Lord's Prayer for us. That we would be one in unity in the things of God, in the things of Spirit. We've been studying in the first hour that till we all come into the unity of the faith, that we all live according to the unity of the Spirit. That's what God has a desire for us. That we may be one as you, Father, are in me. He prays that we would be one just like God is one with, that the Son is one with the Father. And that He is with the Father as one. They are all God. Separate and distinct persons, but one in the unity of the Godhead. In order that, he goes on, that they also may be one. Now catch this. That we as well might be one. He's first of all prayed that we be one together as an entity. Then he prays that we would be one as the Father and the Son are one. And now he prays that we might be one in the Father and in the Son. You see, again, no other religion can claim this. That we have a oneness with God. That does not mean that we become God or that we become deity, but we are one with Him in that we are partakers of the very divine nature of God. When we believe the Gospel, when we trust in Christ, His divine life comes and lives in us in order that we might be one with the Father, in order that we might live a life that's glorifying the Lord, that we might produce fruit, in order that, the latter part of verse 21, that the world may believe that You sent Me. You see, they see us as we carry about our life doing the work of God, and God is honored And there's the proof that's in the pudding that we are one with the Father. We walk as Jesus walked. We talk as Jesus walked. And God is glorified. That's the goal. Back to our text in John chapter 15. But Jesus said... In verse 4, that we are to continually, day in and day out, abide in Him, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Now that's pretty much self-explanatory, is it not? If a branch is cut off from the vine, what's going to happen to it? It's simply going to wither. It's going to be good for nothing than to be thrown into the fire. Well, Jesus said in a like manner that we can do nothing if we are apart from Him. Now, as children of God, we are a part of Him. That's why when these branches that are not a part of Him and they bear no fruit, they're gathered, they're thrown into the fire, they're good for nothing. That's indicative of those who have never come to know Christ. They bear no fruit whatsoever at all. But we who are in Christ, there's a sense in which if you're a child of God, you're going to bear some fruit. But He works with us in order that we might bear fruit because it's impossible for us to continue bearing fruit apart from the vine, apart from us 
being connected to Him. Now here's a glorious promise for us. Let's look again in verse 4. As He commands us to abide in Him, but then He gives us a glorious assurance. You, believer, abide in Me as I will be abiding in you. I in you. And he says the first same thing here in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and here's the promise, I am in him. You see, there's the the sovereign grace of God that was operative, that brought us into this, this relationship to begin with. There's the cleansing. He is already, Jesus says to his disciples that we've already been cleansed, those that are hearing us. So we praise God that we are branches, that we are in this viable relationship with God, and that the glorious promise is, is that I am right now abiding in you. He is that ever present help. In a time of trouble, He promises to never leave us nor to forsake us, that He'll always be with us. Even, yes, when we are faithless, He remains faithful to us. He can do no other than be faithful to us. Let's flip back in uh, John chapter 10. Jesus said, referring to His own children, His own disciples, His own people, the sheep, I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand. You see, by the grace of God, because of the grace of God, we are in Him, He is in us. He is always there with us, abiding with us, calling us to fellowship with Him and gives us this promise that I am with you. I am always abiding for you. You know, you've heard the old adage, someone says, well, you know, I don't feel as close to God as I used to feel. Guess who moved? It wasn't God. God is an ever-present help with us. He is always abiding in us. So it is totally absurd for us to imagine that we can do anything of kingdom worth without continually abiding, continually fellowshipping with God. Now what does this word abide mean? Well, it simply means to remain, to stay with, to stay connected to stay in fellowship with, in other words. Uh, to be related to. To stay with. To cleave unto. And you know, this is so true for all of us, whether you're a new believer or you're an old believer. He says to each of us, abide in Me, and then the promise, as I am continually always abiding in you. We can't live apart from this. And you know, so much of the Christian life is just understanding this. You know, the children of Israel couldn't go out on the day 
when they were in the wilderness and see the manna that was spread all out there for them by a miraculous work of God and say, you know, I'm really hungry today. I'm going to eat uh, four buckets of this manna so that I won't even have to eat tomorrow. Didn't work that way, did it? Because they, they couldn't gather any for the next day because it was all it was it, it would all go away. The only time they could do that was when they were gathering enough for the Sabbath day. The folks, it doesn't matter whether we're new Christian or whether we're old Christian. It's the same. Every day, day in and day out, we have to abide in Him. We have to remain in Him. We looked at some verses in Deuteronomy. When God was leading His children through the, through the wilderness, we're told there in Deuteronomy that God did all of these things. He allowed them to hunger for a while. He allowed them to thirst for a while. And then He would provide the manna. Then He would provide the water. He did of all of that in order that they might understand what? That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Right now, today, been a Christian for... I'm getting old. How old am I? Let's see. Been a, been, a, been a Christian for well over 40 years. Don't laugh. You'll get that way. And you know, and it's the same today. If I don't feed, if I don't abide in the Lord, I don't want to think what could happen to me. You see? And there's a sense which He's there, He's in me. No, no one can pluck me out of His hand. I, I rejoice in that glorious salvation and all those great truths, but yet at the same time, we are told to abide. Yes, indeed, it is God who works in us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Yea, amen. But yet in the same verse, the verse right beside it, He said we are to work at our salvation with fear and trembling. It's the already and the not yet. We have all that we need in Christ Jesus. We have all that we need for life and godliness. We have been supplied by every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places for everything that we need. But we have to continue appropriating these truths, living out these truths, working in our salvation, exerting ourselves, and being all the more diligent to stay with Him, to remain with Him, to cling with Him, to abide with Him, because we cannot bear fruit apart from ourselves. I know that well. I know that really well. You know, I can do nothing. Do you know that? Have you learned that? You're seeking to glorify God. You can't do it on your own. No way. When the disciples preached with such glorious power, they knew that these men were men who had been with Jesus. And that's what Jesus said if you abide and tarry until the Spirit of God falls upon you. Now the Father, you know, this is another glorious truth and no other religion can even begin to proclaim that the, Father, the triune God is in us and is working with us. The Father is the gardener or the vine dresser. He's working with us. He's pruning with us. He's cleansing us. He's sanctifying us. Christ is in us. He's working in us. And He says to His disciples, 
that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Look at chapter 15 in verses 26. 15 and 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. The Comforter would come. The one, one that's going to stand beside them to strengthen the power. You see, you see what I'm saying here, folks? I can't even begin. Words cannot even begin for me to describe to you this glorious relationship that we have with the triune God. Ain't no other religion like it, folks. This is a viable, living, organic relationship that we have with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. Now this abiding means, let's look at, let's get our shoes deep into this. In John chapter 15, in verse 7, we're going to talk about how, how, how do we abide or what does it mean to abide. If you abide in me, and here it is, in my words abiding you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be given unto you. We feed upon the Word of God. They were led through the wilderness in order that they might understand that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. We feast upon the Word of God that we might be mature children of God. And then in verse 15, chapter 15 and verse 10, if you keep my commandments, there's someone that's walking in obedience, proving that they're a true branch, they're bearing fruit. They're keeping the law of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Abiding in God means abiding in, living in the love of God. Another synonym for abiding is, is walking. Are we walking with the Lord? And the Scripture says in 1 John chapter 2.6, you don't have to take the time to turn there, He who says he abides in me ought also himself to walk just as he, Jesus, walked. We walk like him. We walk with him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Whoever abides in Him, John says, does not sin. The one who is cleaving to, looking unto the Lord, remaining with Him, does not continue to practice a lifestyle of sin. Because God's seed remains in Him and He cannot sin. So, the Spirit of God is abiding with us. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 27, again, don't take the time to turn there. The Scripture says, "...the anointing, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit, which you have received from Him, abides in you." So here's another promise. That the Spirit of God is there fixed with us, abiding with us, just as Jesus said, "...abide in Me and I in you. I will be with you." So... He's all that we need. 
He's our all in all. We can do nothing apart from Him. And when you talk to people, those saints that have been used remarkably by God, it seems that this is one characteristic that they seem to possess. I know of one particular dear brother, not even going to give you his name because it's not important, but when he was asked, why does God use you so much? He simply said, I want God. I want to know God. I want to be in fellowship with God. Abide in me, and my words abide in you. You shall bear much fruit. Now look at verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Here it is reiterated, for without me you can do well, you can do a little bit. You can get by okay. You can do nothing. You can't bear fruit. You can do nothing. If you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you certainly are not connected to the vine. You can bring no spiritual fruit. The lost sinner can bring can do nothing to merit himself before God because he is not capable of doing any spiritual good. Jesus said here, you can do nothing. In other words, can. You do not have the ability in you to do anything. You can do nothing. And as saints of God, we have this ability. We have this potential. As we are joined to the true vine, we can bear fruit. We can honor God. We can please God. And because of the work of the triune God who's working with us and living within us, we can think thoughts that glorify God. We can speak words that are honoring and praiseworthy to God and build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can perform actions that honor the Lord and bear fruit. But apart from Him, we can do absolutely nothing. The Apostle Paul certainly knew this fact. We'll not take the time to turn there, but in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says that I will not boast because of my accomplishments. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrew, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin as to touching the law, blameless. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had great credentials. Studied with the finest. But what did he say? I count it all as rubbish, as trash in comparison as my desire to know Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, but the very righteousness of Christ. All of my learning I count as refuge. He didn't count his preaching as anything to gain in. He says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, and woe is me if I preach not the gospel. That should be our desire. Whether we do it formally or informally, we want to be uh, 
someone who witnesses and glorifies the Lord. It's bearing fruit. It's not something, well, let's see, I've got to check off my list here. Did I pray today? Did I read my Bible? Did I share my faith? No. Because of my relationship with God, these things should spill out of us naturally. Woe is me if I do not do these things. Paul had a lot to say about nothing. He said for the sake of Christ he had lost all things and that he had nothing because of his suffering for the gospel. As far as this world goes, he says, I possess nothing, but yet in reality I was the one who was possessing all things. Let's look at that. Keep your place there in John. And turn with me to 2 Corinthians Chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6, excuse me, in verse 10. Paul said, as he reflects back upon his service for the Lord, as sometimes being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich as having nothing in regards to this world, and yet possessing all things. We have received all the heavenly spiritual blessings that we can contain. And we are rich in the eyes of God. And then look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, He's the perfect example, that though He was rich, eternally with the Father before time began, enjoying the sweet fellowship that the triune God enjoyed, the richness of the Trinity, yet for our sakes He became poor when He came to this earth, born of a virgin, born under the law, suffered and died for us, He became poor, though He was rich, that through His poverty we as well might become rich. But Paul says, I had nothing, but yet I possessed all things. Well, it's not only that we can do nothing, but here's a further word of encouragement to you. We are nothing apart from Him. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. Now the context there is of a a Christian that's vulnerable to trouble in this world. If you think that you stand, you better take heed lest you fall because you might be caught up in a trespass, in a sin, when you desperately need grace and forgiveness from God and maybe from your fellow believers. Or you may, in this life of misery and suffering, become so heavily burdened in your life that if you think you are something and that you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, then you better have another thing coming. 
because you will not find power and grace unless you cast yourself upon the Lord and other, other believers that can love you and come alongside to you and minister to you. No, we are nothing in and of ourselves, so we ought not to deceive ourselves. Sometimes we inadvertently think that we can kind of do this on our own. But boy, that's a, that's a pitfall that's going to hurt us. We're going to fall in sin. We're going to find heartache. And really it's an abomination before God to think that we can please Him apart from our relationship to the Lord. So we can bear no fruit. We can do nothing. In a real sense, we are nothing without being joined to His life that comes to us through the Gospel. The Scriptures also say that we cannot do anything that is pleasing to God apart from this grace. Now let's look in our Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now you know there in there in Corinth there was some division. And some of the believers there were saying that, you know, I'm on a higher level than you are, so to speak, because I am of Paul. And another one would say, Well, you may be of Paul, but I'm I'm of Apollos. I came to know the Lord under the, the brilliance of Apollos, you know. So there there was division in the church. They were boasting about the nothingness through which they had believed. Okay? And this is what Paul says concerning these divisions in verse 5 of chapter 3. Who then is Paul? This is Paul talking about Paul. Who is Paul? You know? And who is Apollos? but ministers, servants, through whom you believed. They were just tools that God used. As the Lord gave to each one. And Paul says, yes, I planted, and Apollos watered, but it is God who gives the increase. No life is given apart from God. God is the one that's got to open the floodgates of heaven to pour out His life into the life of the one that believes. So then, neither he who plants is anything... See, I told you you weren't anything. No matter what you're doing, you're not anything. I'm a not anything standing here preaching. Nobody's preaching. Because he can't do anything apart from the grace of God. Neither that he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but it is God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You see, God, God doesn't need us, but He is delighted to use us as instruments in His hand. Boy, You know, the theme of the Bible is that salvation is of the Lord. It's a work of God's grace. And I I was thinking here, maybe today there might be someone here that's not really a branch. 
you're not really joined to the living God. You've never been born again. You don't have this spiritual life, this real, true spiritual life that only comes to you from God. You don't enjoy the sweet blessings and the fellowship of the Spirit, which only comes from God. You may be religious. Well, guess what? I can't do anything for you today. Nothing. But I can sure point you to the One who is the source of this life. And if you believe the Gospel, if you turn from your, your sins, not doing anything religious, but simply believing in Christ, you can have your sins forgiven. And Jesus said that when we, when we truly believe in Him, there will be a well of water overflowing out of our life. This overflow of eternal life that we have in His Son. Wow. See, see, child of God, believer, we know that, don't we? We've experienced that. We've lived in that. And, and we rejoice in the fact that today we can abide in and drink from this glorious fountain. And today, if, if you're here without Christ, after the service today, I pray you'll come up to me and say, I want to talk to you about this because I've been religious, but I want, to, I want to have this life from God in me so that I know that when I die that I'm going to go to heaven. And that right now I can enjoy this fellowship with God. But believer, believers, we can't do anything. But we can seek Him. We can abide with Him. We can re- remain with Him. We can cleave unto Him. And seek to be what Paul spoke to of Timothy. He says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, which we should aspire to being those vessels of honor, but there are also vessels of wood and clay. Some of these vessels are for honor and others are for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the Master and prepared for every good work. We can do nothing apart from Him, but He provides everything that we need. You see, we don't have to look to anyone else. You know, sometimes we may go to a Bible conference, and I'll be going to one here in a few weeks, and I look forward to that. That'll be a sweet time. But you know, nothing replaces the joy that we can have as we seek the Lord, as we abide one-on-one with Him, as we cleave to Him, as we study His Word and fellowship with Him. You see, we can't bear fruit apart from it. That's what Jesus said. We can, the, the, the branch can bear no fruit apart from the vine. But praise God, we know the One and we live in the One who is the source of all of our life, of all our spiritual life. We can do nothing apart from Him. We can do nothing in and of ourselves. Because it's only when we are joined to this fountain of life, only when we are joined to the God of all grace, does He impart who He is unto us, His attributes. 
of love and grace and kindness and goodness and mercy and humility and understanding and empathy and discernment. All of these things must come from Him because they're not innate within a human being. For the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? You know, that love and joy, patience, temperance, goodness, self-control, on and on. These are things from God. So, let me ask you this morning. Are you encouraged by the fact that I said to you, you can bear no fruit apart from Him? Are you encouraged from the fact that we can do nothing apart from Him? Are you encouraged by the fact that we are not anything apart from Him? Well, you really should be. Because when we begin to learn these glorious truths, we will abide with Him all the more. Then we can bear fruit. Yes, He says here that we can bear much fruit as we look at, turn back to our text in John. John chapter 15. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You know, it is really a fact, a miracle of agriculture, when you see that mature grapevine, which is coming up out of the ground of good soil, and it produces these long branches, of which in turn produce those luscious grapes from which we enjoy the fruit of the vine. You know, when the time of harvest in the nation of Israel came about, it was a time of of great joy when there was new grain and new wine. But the psalmist says, O Lord, You have given me more joy than when the new grain and the new wine abound. Yes, that is a glorious miracle of agriculture. But again, when Jesus was here, He said, I am the true vine. And you are the branches. What a miraculous work of God He was portraying there before His disciples. A glorious living relationship with Him. And then the Father looks upon us and His branches. And what does He say to us? Look, look. let's read verses 7. Verse 7 of chapter 15. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. See, we're in fellowship with God. We're communing with Him. We're abiding in Him. Therefore, we pray wise prayers and He answers those prayers because we prayed according to His will. And in verse 8, By this is My Father glorified. Look at it. That you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Yeah, you're, you're living your life. You're cleaving to me. You're, you're, you're in relationship with me and you're bearing much fruit, proving yourself to be my disciples. And the Father is glorified. You think about that person who is the expert gardener. 
He produces the pristine grapevine, bearing forth the luscious grapes that are so sweet to the taste. And he says, wow, look at that. Look what, I, look what I've accomplished. Well, that's what the Father does. He looks at us, His branches, and we, when, he bears, when we bear much fruit, the Father is glorified because of what He has done in our lives. That He brings forth much fruit from His own. Now, one of the principal reasons why Jesus said this was not that we can all feel like a bunch of dirty egg-sucking dogs that can't do anything. We can't. But He said this in order that... Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you that your joy might be full. Let us rejoice in the Lord this morning that we as His children of God are joined to Him. We experience a sweetness, a tranquility, a peace, a power that no other religion knows or can know because we are in communion with the living God. Because He has seen fit by His grace to call us unto Himself when we believe the Gospel. We've been joined to the living God. We are His branches. May we go forth abiding in Him and bear much fruit in order that our Father might be glorified in our life.